This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right. Away, back, gone. Go, hey. It's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy in blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to A's Cast Live as we have a great show for you on a Monday. As you see there on the screen, single game tickets on sale now. The spring training games are on sale, and it is getting closer and closer for us going down to Arizona. Looking at the calendar, what, today's the 6th? Literally in two weeks, we'll be hopping on a Southwest flight and we're going to be heading to Arizona, Mesa, Ho-Ho Cam, to give you everything Oakland Athletics. And we're going to go back to the old school way of doing it. Because for some reason we got sidetracked and it's not the right way. We're going to go back to the right way. We're going to go there before the game start. And we are going to sit down with all the major players. And you're going to have it on audio, on our streaming. You're going to have video, whether it's Twitter, whether it's YouTube, however you're consuming this. And you're going to get to see the players, hear the players, in-depth, one-on-one interviews from spring training. Because if there was ever a year to really to get to know the A's, and really the future of the A's, this is really a good year. And I thought about that because before I came on today, I went on with the Seattle Mariners podcast. So the Mariners are doing their look around the American League West right now. And so they called me up, hey, can you do A's, of course. So I went on with them, and we actually had a long conversation. And I want to get into it because it kind of tells you about the national perspective of where we are and just how either people are just not informed or they just literally just don't know. But going through that, you know, that interview, they were asked, oh, hey, who should we be looking forward to? Hey, who are these, who are the young players that are coming up? How are the A's going to get back? And it's just, you know, that's where we are. So I think it's important that we get into a dugout or a meeting room and we sit there and we talk with the players and you get to know the players. We get to know the players. The guys that are going to be in charge of turning this thing around and changing the Oakland Athletics. Who are they? What makes them tick? We're going to have that for you from Mesa, Arizona. When do we fly out, Cody? Is it the 21st? 21st, like almost three in the afternoon, and then we'll start doing stuff on Wednesday the 22nd all the way through the 24th. That's a Friday, and then we come home, and our first game's Friday, uh, Saturday the 25th. 
How crazy is that? I mean, literally two weeks. In two weeks, just about two weeks, we will be in Arizona and getting you ready for spring training. And as Cody just said on the 25th, A's baseball is going to start. I got to tell you, it was a great weekend, and I know they finished up this morning out of Pebble Beach. Saw some A's fans out there. It was good to see you. Uh, what a great event. Just absolutely incredible being on the Monterey Peninsula and out at Pebble, just one of the most beautiful places uh, in the world. As they say, it's the greatest meeting of land and sea on the planet, and it truly is incredible. And not only am I starting the show with that today, I'm doing it for a reason. First, let's uh, get to you. We're going to have coming up here, we are going to have Martin Gallegos, MLB.com, covers the A's at 1.30, and then Anthony Castrovince at 2 o'clock from MLB.com to talk about a lot of different things going on in Major League Baseball. But the thing that, uh, oh, you know what? I'll be interested in Anthony. Let's see what he says about the 40-40. What's going to be easier this year? Is it going to be the dingers? Or is it going to be the stolen bases? Still still kind of, it's, we, we, we don't know how the changing of the pickoff rules and the bigger bags and we just, and no shifting. And we don't know how the running game is going to change in baseball. Change back too. Are we going to get back to guys with 40 stolen bases? There's a bunch of guys with 40 stolen bases or a bunch of guys with even 30. Well, we have some leaders in the clubhouse that are 80 and above. Can you imagine that? Multiple guys with 80-plus stolen bases in a season? That's going to be like a shocker to the system. So we got a lot to get into with with Anthony Castrovins from MLB.com at 2 o'clock. So yesterday morning, what time did you get up yesterday, Cody? Was uh, I working while you were sleeping on a Sunday morning? Yeah, I think I was. Uh, how can I say? I had a one too many uh, IPAs on Saturday, so I slept in a little bit till what, I don't know, 10 or 11 yesterday. Well, wait, wait, what do you mean one too many? You went out and you enjoyed yourself. You're a responsible adult. What were you doing? Oh, no, I was drinking at home. My wife and I drank at home that day, so I didn't even go anywhere. That's the worst part. Then you were even, you were even more responsible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when I say one too many, I don't know. There was a six pack of IPAs, and I may have drank a little bit earlier in the day. But yeah, I was at home, but I, I slept in. So yeah, I was asleep whenever you were uh, doing the work you were doing. I want to show everybody my new favorite thing that I got for Christmas. I don't know, have I shown this yet? The Asiati. Uh, yes, I. I think it, we show that one or the the green one you have as well, which is. Oh yeah, the green one. But this isn't a Yeti. This to me is more for decoration. I love this one for decoration because it comes off so good. It's a great color. I don't even know who makes this one. I wanted the the A's. The A's. Can you see the A's in the the logo? I do. Yes. It's sick. This A's. Yeah. This A's Yeti is amazing. But as Cody was sleeping hungover, I got up early to go down to Pebble Beach. And if you want a fantastic baseball show. Every Sunday morning, they have a show called The Front Office. And it's Jim Duquette with Jim Bowden. And two ex-GMs. Obviously, Jim has his show, The Power Alley, Monday through Friday with our buddy Mike Farron, who we're taking to dinner. Is that set yet for our first night down there in the Valley of the Sun? I touched base with him last week. He, he seems like he's into it, but he said he'll believe it. 
He'll believe it when he sees it. That's yeah. what he said. He'll believe he'll he'll believe it when the bill shows up and his arms uh, he gets alligator arms and I'm paying for it. That's when he will believe it. He forgot his wallet as as the excuse. Yeah, well, 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 where, where where well I I I don't I I, I he'll, one of those acts. But that's fine. He's a good friend and we promised him dinner. So they were breaking down the NL Central on their show on Sunday morning. It's a fantastic show. They actually take callers, too, and I'm going to get to that in a second. Um, so basically, the NL Central, it's the Cardinals and then nobody else. Because I don't think there's a belief. I don't think there's a belief that the Brewers are going to make a run at this thing. Like at some point, the Brewers are going to sell off some pieces, especially pitching. Cubs aren't there. How how are the Pirates gonna do? I look at the Pirates making a run at this thing. Uh, the over under win total for them I saw over the weekend was sixty five. So I don't think they're gonna make a run for the Central this year. So it's you know listening to them break it down. I'm like, yeah, it's uh, Cardinals or bust. Okay, and they had a caller call in and randomly ask about the A's situation. And it made me realize how just uninformed the national media is. And then I got it again today talking with our friends up in Seattle. They're just asking, what's going on? Jim Bowden basically said on a national show, The MLB channel on Sirius XM, this is the MLB channel, basically said that the Rays stadium deal is done. I mean, I'm driving down to Pebble Beach. I'm like, what? What is he saying? Oh, yeah, they had a press conference. It's done. They're they're getting this thing done. And then, of course, the whole just trashing of everything going on in Oakland, it, it it was unbelievable. In Vegas, and it just, it was, it was like, they literally, Cody, think because there was a press conference, and I know we talked about this last week, but I just, I couldn't believe it. So I was, I was hearing this on a national show. They believe because Tampa had a press conference, has drawings, and a mayor says, I like the idea that it's done. Tampa saved. They literally said that. That's what national media is out there spewing to people. That Tampa Bay, well, actually, St. Petersburg, the city of St. Petersburg, their mayor and the Rays had a press conference. That means their stadium deal is done. Doesn't seem, uh, doesn't sit well with me because of, well, we're around it. And we heard the Rays president, Brian, all talk about, you know, how they're excited. I mean, do we have to play the audio again? I still have it of how excited the Braves president is, but they're not even close to voting on it. Yeah, yeah, I want you to play this, because this is something that I, people need to understand. This is the one where he says they're going to meet with the mayor, correct? Yes. So here okay, we, play that. Here we go. I'm really looking forward to, for the first time since the RFP was issued, being able to sit down with the mayor and talk about how he wants this to go forward, where we're going to go, how we're going to get there, and in what order. Um, Because there's arguments to be made for any number of steps along the way. You know, we know we need a financing plan for the ballpark. We know we need a city council approval of a development agreement. Um, We know we're going to need some county support. And so each of those steps can be taken um, 
in order, and uh, and I think we work on them all at the same time. Um, but what I think you saw today was overwhelming community support for a really great vision for this city and this baseball club, and that's exciting. Vision, community, community support, and a first meeting with the mayor on how we're going to do it. And th- everybody's taking that as it's a done deal. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, oh, wow. Oh, that's, by the way, that's race president Brian Ald, if anyone just caught that in the middle of it. Brian Ald is the president of the Tampa Bay race. We can't wait. I mean, we, we don't have a plan. We don't have financing. We actually don't have anything, but we're going to meet with the mayor for the first time, and the mayor is going to tell us the steps and how we're going to go about it. It's a done deal. If you just listen to that, and you've been following everything we've been doing and everything everybody's been trying to do, oh, my God. How, how, how just, I don't know how it gets like this. I really don't. I really don't know how it's just clueless. There's just cluelessness everywhere you look. I mean, obviously it's very complicated and you'd really need to have your ear to the ground to be following everything. But the fact that the national media thinks that you could have a press conference and everything's good. I mean, that would basically be like Shang Tao, the new mayor of Oakland, and Dave Cavill having a press conference. And Mayor Shang Tao comes out, Mayor Tao comes out and says, yeah, we want to do this. And Dave Cavill goes, yeah, we want to do this. And now the national media goes, oh, we're saved in Oakland. We're saved. It's all done. We're good. We're good. They're going to get it done. They're just going to get it done. Wow. It, it's it, it's it, it, it was just a shocker to hear national guys supposedly in the know truly have zero idea. And as I tried to sum up all the different things that have been happening from free, I tried to sum it up real quick on the Mariners podcast today. From Fremont to San Jose, first of all, before any of that happened, I talked about the Giants trying to move to San Jose. That's why the territorial rights thing happened, because normally in a two-team market like New York, Chicago, L.A., both teams, you have equal territorial rights. You can move wherever you want inside the territory. But the A's gave that up to the Giants because the Giants were trying to move to San Jose. Giants had not one but two votes that did not pass in San Jose to bring them down there. They were eventually going to move to St. Petersburg, Florida, and they would be the St. Pete Giants. But Peter McGowan, Safeway, and their group saved them, kept them in San Francisco, and the rest is history. And then they didn't want to give back the territorial rights because they said, hey, listen, we had to get the funding and pay for our own ballpark. And one of the reasons why we were able to do that is because San Jose and Silicon Valley is our territory. That's one of the reasons why we were able to get the financing, not just because we're San Francisco. All of a sudden, San Francisco needs San Jose. When San Francisco never wants anything to do with San Jose, but when it came to the Giants, boy, do we need San Jose. So they weren't giving up the territorial rights. The rest is history. So there's this long history. So I said, in the end, 
you know, what's happening in Vegas, what's happening in Oakland, it's complicated. But if it's complicated here, the Rays are like, they're about to run a race. They're not even at the starting line. They're like stretching. They're hydrating. They're like, they're like, they're, they're having orange peels. Maybe a little lemon. And whatever people do to run races, I'm not really educated on that. I did a 5K once. It was a disaster. We'll never do it. You ever done a 5K, Cody? Uh, no, I haven't had the uh, urge to want to run that many miles. Um, I mean, I, I walk a good amount of miles per day, but no, never done a 5K. Don't plan on doing a 5K. Oh, actually, I've done two 5Ks. Were they for charity or just did you just do it for fun? One was in my neighborhood in Willow Glen here in San Jose. They do one every single year. Well, they used to do one every single year. I don't know if it's back or not uh, for all the local businesses. And then my kids were in this um, running program for girls. That's a nationwide program. And I ran that one in Los Gatos. And it was after that one that I really had to come to grips with my age and my ability not to run long distances anymore. Be a good reason so, for doing them. So it's at some point you need to realize that this really hurts really bad. And it's having a lasting effect on 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 me. And I don't want to train. And a 5K is nothing. I can't even imagine these people that do marathons. I it's just it's insane. But yeah, I, I realized in the last 5K that my running days are behind me. I have better things to do with my life than to run on hard asphalt and concrete for a couple for a 5.3 or whatever it is miles. It's not good for you. And those days are officially over. But if we were if we're looking at a race for any of you who've run a half marathon or marathon, there comes to a point where I've heard this. I can't say I've ever experienced it, but I hear there comes a point where your body doesn't want to run anymore, but you've done all this training. You've done all this work to get to the finish line, but your body's telling, you no. your mind's saying yes. And you're going to finish this race because this is what you trained for. This is your goal. That's where the A's are. The A's are deep into this marathon. And they've been running for hours, hours. And it's hard and it hurts. Nothing feels good. It's miserable. I can't even, Cody, can you even imagine how miserable it must be when you're on like mile 16 or 17 of a marathon. I can't imagine when it's like running like the, the Boston marathon or what are some of the other big ones they do? Anyone, uh, New York marathon, yeah. Boston. We have a mar we have marathons here. There's marathons all over the place. Yeah. I can't even, I can't even imagine what that'd be like. Even, even like take it one step further. Like imagine what they do for the tour de France with biking, uh, cycling. I can only imagine, but I, yeah, no, um, my body aches after thinking about mile four or five imagine being on 16 and 17 i can't imagine it so that that that's where the where we are we're in that uncomfortable spot we're in that uncomfortable spot 
that our body hurts. This has been a long time. It's been a lot of training. Knees hurt, ankles hurt, back hurts. This is miserable, but I know what the goal is, and we're going to finish the race. Tampa? Tampa's 18 miles back stretching out. They haven't even, the gun hasn't even gone off. (laughs) I mean, they haven't even started the race. They still look, they've got their cute little running shirt on. They've got their running shorts. They got their bottles of water. They're with their friends. Isn't this great? We've been waiting for this for so long. And they're stretching out. They're just starting to gather people at the front. The fast people will go off first. You got all the people in the back who are like, you know, excited. They waited. that That's where they are. They haven't even started the race. This will probably be the last time I bring this up on the show anytime soon, unless there is some breaking news. Because uh, I don't want to talk about this because there is no news to break. But I just want to give people an idea that, you know, what means so much to us is being covered very unprofessionally outside of us. It just is. It's it. There's things that have been written. There's things that have been said that are just reckless, uninformed. And anything like that, that gets reported all of a sudden gets magnified. And then all of a sudden it gets thrown back at us and it upsets us. Even though we know it's crap. And I feel bad. I feel bad for you, the fans, because obviously this means this means a lot to all of us. This is our livelihood, for God's sakes. And for you as fans, this is your love. So every detail matters to us. Every little thing matters to us. And so when someone's driving around on Sunday morning and you're listening to a show that's well-renowned, the front office, Cody, back me on this, on Sunday mornings, everybody in our industry is listening to this show. Yeah, because you got, as you mentioned, you got two former Major League Baseball executives, general managers, Bowden, multiple teams, uh, Jim Duquette with the Mets. I mean, we've had him on several times. Bowden, uh, he's a little more uh, slippery to get on the program, but these guys, they, they, it, there's another, doesn't Steve Phillips sometimes join them too when he does it? So, like, you oh, got, yeah, yeah. So, you got and three he's former Mets. You got three Bowden former Mets. Bowden actually executives. did, did uh, Duquette also did the Orioles. Was he there? I know his cousin was there, Dan. So, yeah, so, I mean, these guys have been around the league for a while. It's not like these are just two guys that are filling in on a Sunday to talk baseball. I mean, these are two guys that are really in the know, guys that break down things. I mean, Bowden breaks down trades and and farm system rankings and prospects. And, I mean, the guy's been a GM for the Reds and the Nationals. So, he's been – he knows what he's talking about. But, yeah, it seems kind of reckless after you told me about that earlier. And I've listened to that show, I think, once or twice because, well, I'm not out that early on Sunday sometimes to listen. But I am subscribed to Sirius. I I told Farron that I subscribe to it. But yeah, that's just yeah. He should buy, he should be buying us dinner. We're keeping him employed. Yeah, Jim Duquette was a general manager of the Mets, and then was the vice president of baseball operations for the Orioles, and he's been with a bunch of different teams. All these guys have been with a ton of teams. But yeah, I mean they they're kind of the they. They on Sunday mornings, they get all they had the uh, Cardinals GM on on Sunday. I mean, you'll hear you'll hear all the GMs stop by there, all their buddies. So, yeah, when you hear a show like that being so 
and I, I, I hate to harp on them, but they're just a good example of it's really it's really hard to know what to believe and what not to believe. But if you're someone driving around and you work in baseball or you're around baseball and you hear what they had to say about it, you'd think, oh, but that's not that's not right. It's not the case. So A's fans, be very selective. Be very selective in what you're paying attention to. Be very selective in what you're consuming. You're a consumer. What are you consuming? Make sure you're, what you're consuming is healthy. It's right. I mean, they're, they're, they're not, they're, there's a lot of questions and whole, a whole lot, not a whole lot of answers, but you can follow the yellow brick road. There's no question. I mean, there's a path to follow and there's certain people to follow. But make sure what you make sure you're consuming the right stuff because it's very easy to not be. Let's just say that. Coming up next, Martin Gallegos from MLB.com is going to join us as we're going to talk about getting ready for spring training. Hard to believe it's here. That's right. That's coming up next right here on A's Cast Live. Oakland Athletics Spring Training is right around the corner, and you can be part of the excitement. Get your tickets now and plan ahead for a fun-filled trip to Mesa, Arizona this spring. Pack the sunscreen, bring your friends, pick up some ballpark classics, and watch your green and gold get ready for the regular season. Get your tickets today to see the Athletics take on the Giants, Padres, Cubs, Dodgers, and more. Tickets are on sale now at athletics.com spring. That's athletics.com spring. It's that time of the year. Single game tickets are now on sale for the 2023 season. Don't miss out on securing your tickets for some of the biggest matchups, fireworks, drone shows, giveaways, and more. Visit athletics.com slash tickets to get yours now. That's athletics.com slash tickets. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. That's right. We are back. A's cast live. Martin Gallegos is going to join us. Um, you know, I, something we referenced the other day about the great Henry Aaron. Yesterday was his birthday. And we're going to have an article for you with some statistics that make you understand that this man was such a force in this game. I don't know how you make an argument that somebody was better. How about that to phrase it that way, Cody? We're going to give you these numbers. I don't know how you could actually give me somebody else's numbers to compare against his to say that they were better than him. I, I, I with all due respect to there's been over 20,000 players who have played major league baseball. When you actually look at Henry Aaron and I've said it before, and I'm, I'm, I don't know how many people really have bought it where I say, yeah, if I had to say who's the greatest of all time, probably I'm probably putting my money on Henry Aaron. And with his you know, obviously, with his passing, we now are going to remember him uh, every year on his birthday. 
And you see, these numbers are just staggering. They're just literally staggering. When you throw around greats, goats, Mount Rushmore's, we're going to give you some of these numbers. They're so eye-popping. I think it's a great way to put it. Who are you going to bring and what numbers are you going to bring that you think can even come close to standing next to Henry Aaron? Agree completely with you. The numbers in there are amazing. Mind-blowing. Yeah, and I don't want to give too much of it away, and and, uh, Martin Gallegos is here, but, yeah, we'll get into that because I saw that yesterday and I wanted to make sure we touched on it because we talked about Henry Aaron last week and his total base number. There's more numbers than just his total bases that are just uh, that'll blow you away. There's one number that I read that and it's so insane about how good of a hitter he was that literally it's going to blow your mind. There's this one stat and that's called a tease. Martin Gallegos from MLB.com joins us. Martin, that is a tease. I will have a stat about Henry Aaron that will blow every baseball fan's mind about how great of an offensive player he was. How are you, my friend? I'm great. I, I can't wait to hear that stat. I'm going I'm to stick around after this just to just to hear it from you, County. Well, of course, you work for MLB.com. We got this from MLB.com, so I think you're really going to enjoy it. Um Yet an article on Jesus Aguilar. Tell me why I should. I want to be excited about him. I, I want to like go back into my crystal ball way back machine and remember Frank Thomas when Frank Thomas was coming over from Chicago. Remember, remember what Frank? I don't know. How old were you then? How old were you going into two thousand six season? Uh, well, I, I definitely remember it. Uh, I think I was I was in high school, but but I definitely remember you know when he came over and had that resurgent year. So. Okay, so when he was coming here, though, he was coming. I mean, he was coming just not with some baggage. He was coming with luggage. Uh, He was known at that point as a bad dude. He was known as a player with bad feet. I mean, bad feet, bad attitude, declining declining uh, career. Why would you even sign this guy? And it turned out all to be completely false. You know, it's it's like when the – when the weather guy predicts doom and gloom and rain and and all of a sudden you walk out and it's clear skies, that was Frank Thomas. He was a beautiful guy. He was a fantastic A. Uh, so you can't always judge a book by its cover. Sell me why Aguilar is going to be like that. Well, I can't I can't guarantee he's going to be Frank Thomas resurgent, but um, I think there's signs there that that make it a good signing. You know, um, he's not. You know, he's only 32, so it's not like he's you know, one of those players who it seems like he's, you know, on the complete downside of his career, washed up, trying to get one more year out of him. Um, if you look at his stats prior to last season, obviously last year was, was pretty bad. Ended up getting released by the Marlins and, and went to uh, Baltimore, and, and it wasn't much better there either. Uh, but before that, he had some really good seasons with the Marlins. He was a consistent run producer, middle of yours threat, certainly for a team that just lost Sean Murphy. I mean, you're looking for any type of thump you could get in the middle of that lineup. Right now, it's really only – Seth Brown is a guy who's proven to be able to do that over the course of a season. You hope guys like Shea Langliers and, and maybe one or two others can step up and, and form, you know, a pretty solid middle of the, middle of the order. But Sus Aguilar has been there before. He's done it. Obviously, 2018 was the big year when he was an all-star. That's a few years removed from that. But even you look at 2021, um, his numbers are still pretty good with the Marlins. So um, 
you know, he's, he's worked on some things this offseason. He talked to us about it. He's kind of looked to kind of rebuild his, his stance at the plate a little bit. He was getting pitched high with velocity a lot. He's trying to combat that. Um, but it still seems like he's, he's uh, you know, got something left in the tank. It's not like he's a guy who's, who's had, you know, a few years of really bad baseball. Last year it was bad, uh, but he seems committed to turning it around. Um, and unlike you mentioned with, you know, Frank Thomas coming with a little bit of baggage in terms of personality, it seems like this guy's a great personality. Um, he played for Craig Council and Mark Kotze. Obviously knows Council real well and um, heard, you know, really good reviews about him in the clubhouse. So, I mean, they're going to need some veterans in that clubhouse as well. And I think he's going to bring some leadership, especially for the younger Latin guys that the A's have coming up through the system who are going to make their major league debut or have played, you know, last year a little bit. Um, I think he's going to be a really good resource in there. So I think kind of goes both ways. It's production on the field. They're hoping for a turnaround there, but also what he's going to provide in the clubhouse. I think it's going to be pretty valuable as well. Yeah, and that, what you just talked about, can be really big. Like we, you know, the makeup of the team, we've got more of an idea of what we had last year, but still this is another year where there's a lot of unknowns and we could see a lot of players. And if there are a lot of young Latin American players, a guy like this can be so instrumental. I don't don't know how to put a value on it, I just know being in clubhouses all these years for these young guys that are making their journey into a new country and they've been stashed basically playing in minor league cities that are small cities. Uh, Now you're coming to the big leagues and there's a lot of pitfalls when you get to this level. I just, just talk really about that, what that means to have that veteran type guy that can help these young players and we, as fans, like to think about it so much about helping them learn the ropes of the big leagues. Me, from the inside, will tell you it's more importantly how to help these guys how to live their lives and to be safe and to make good decisions away from the field. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's always important, especially, um, like, like we said, there's a lot of you know, young Latin guys in there. Um, last year, you know, Elvis Andrews was the perfect guy for that. And once he left, there was really a void there in that clubhouse. There was nobody... They had a lot of Latin guys in there, um, you know, but nobody with a ton of big league experience. I think maybe Domingo Acevedo had the most experience of the group and he had only been in the big leagues for about a year. So, um, you know, they kind of lacked that that type of leadership. I mean, there, there was other veteran guys in there like Stephen Bow and stuff like that. And, and they did help them out as well. But I think obviously, you know, without question, it helps when there's a guy in there who's, you know, speaks Spanish and has been in the league for a long time, knows how it all goes, knows, you know, the process of adjusting to a new country, to, uh, you know, buying a house, to, um, you know, establishing a life here in the United States and trying to stick um, in the, in the major leagues uh, when you come over from another country, it can be, it can be pretty scary at times. And to have kind of, you know, an example of a guy who has successfully done it and can kind of share that knowledge, it's going to be, you know, really important for them to have that around. So, um, you know, that, that's where Aguilar is going to help a lot, but um, you know, the A's feel like he's going to, he's going to bounce back with the bat as well. I think they think, um, they look at the numbers and some some uh, areas where they think he can improve on spring training with Tommy Everidge and Chris Crone. They'll work on trying to, you know, help his selectivity at the plate a little bit. He has been kind of a free swinger in the past. But you look at the walk rate and the strikeout rate, and it's not too far off from the major league average. So he hasn't been like, you know, a horrible, you know, free swinger. It's just a little tweaks here and there at the AC that they can kind of help out uh, this spring. And, and we'll see him in, in, you know, in about a week when the players and pitchers and catchers report. Yeah, and and really, this whole dynamic of first base, first base DH, it excites me because 
somebody's going to win jobs. Somebody's going to get at-bats because they deserve it. You know, whether we're talking about Garcia, who we got to see a lot last year, who the A's acquired from the Yankees because they, you know, they ran out of room and couldn't put him on the 40-man, but obviously they liked him. Same thing with Noda coming over from the Dodgers. He's blocked by Freddie Freeman, so he was available rule five. Aguilar can play first base. Seth Brown, if we end up having young outfielders play well, Brown Brownie's got to be in the lineup. He showed us he could play first base. So are you like me going, I don't know what the actual combination will be, but I feel like this is this first base DH will be a strength for the athletics this year. Yeah, I think it was definitely good last year. I mean, they went through 12 first baseman last year, which is crazy. Um, but they do seem to have at least a little bit more of a defined group this year coming into spring. Like you mentioned, Garcia, um, Ryan Noda is going to get a chance. I think he's going to get a real chance. Um, maybe you see him in sort of a platoon with whether it's Garcia or or Jesus Aguilar. I think Aguilar will play. He's probably going to split time between DH and first, but I think he'll probably end up playing a little bit more DH just so they can get um, you know some of the more athletic type uh, first baseman some, some chances there at the position. But um, it seems like they do have uh, more, like I said, more of a defined group there. Some guys with some promise. Um, you know, Garcia, we know the type of pop that he has. He just, you know, has to get a chance to play a little bit more often. Once he got that last year, he started to hit a little bit more. Kind of, kind of, you know, end of the year a little bit, you know, on a down note hitting wise. But um, I think he showed them enough to get a, another good look this spring. Um, Noda, they're really excited about, it seems like. And Seth Brown can play everywhere. I mean, we'll probably see him in the outfield. We'll see him at first base. We'll see him DH sometimes. So um, I think versatility, you know, it's always been a key with the A's and especially this year. It seems like they got versatility all throughout the roster. You know, one of the biggest questions coming into spring training, kind of a tough one because we know the history and we know what's happened lately. But if I ask you, who is Ramon Laureano? What's your answer? Who is he? Who really is he as a player? Well, it seems like the last two years we've kind of tried to answer that question, right? And and it hasn't been, you know, we were expecting after after he came back from the suspension to see if he could turn things around. Last year, he didn't ever turn around. It seemed like, you know, he was getting injured a lot. And at no point in the season did he really feel like the Ramon Laureano of old. Um, he just was never able to kind of find a consistent stretch. Um, so, I mean, it's a big year for him. I mean, he's got to prove himself um, to a lot of people prove himself to himself as well. I think, um, I know he was frustrated with the way his season ended. I mean, how could he not be? It was just, you know, it was, it was just bad being on a, on a bad team as well. I don't think that helped, you know, after so many years of being used to a team that's playing for something in contention for a playoff spot. Um, so I think that had an effect on him as well. I think it took a toll seeing, you know, guys get traded mid season. Um, so it was just a bad situation for him last year. So, I think, you know, obviously coming into spring, I mean, we always talk about, you know, a fresh start for guys. I think he needs to, you know, hit it, take it as just a reset button, reset himself and just come into a fresh start. You know, a lot of stuff was clouding him last year with the coming back from the suspension, having to answer questions about that. Um, so it just, it, it was tough for him. Um, and, you know, who knows? I mean, he's still, you know, since he's come back, like I said, he hasn't shown the Ramon Laureano of old. So you got to prove that to everybody. And he's going to get a chance to do it. I mean, he's, not, he's no, nobody on this team is going to really threaten him for his spot. So, um, you know, if we get a chance to go out there and perform and, and see if he can find some semblance of, of who he is, he's still really young. Um, the physical tools are there. Um, it's just putting it back together again. And, I mean, health is a big thing. I mean, he, it seems like 
he's only had really one year where he's been able to stay fully healthy over the course of the season. So um, that's always been a concern. Even his first year when he came up, he was battling some injuries. He just plays so hard. So it's just kind of trying to contain that and try to see if he could find something um, that could keep him, you know, out of the trainer's room for, for most of the season. Well, let's play the what if game. What if first base DH is that combination, however you want to put it, of Aguilar, Garcia, Noda. So they're taking up the majority of the spots. Seth Brown's going to play. So Seth Brown's been playing right field. I don't want to see him in center. That was, that was, that was, you had to, you had to put somebody out there. He, I mean, he's not a center fielder. I guess he could play left. Um, Estuary Ruiz is a player that they're really high on and they've been high on. And there's people who think this kid, it it could be a budding star, especially in the new rules with the, the amount of stolen bases going up. Uh, whether it's a Connor Capel, Cody Thomas, I mean, there's all kinds of young players. Even though Thomas isn't as young, but there's all kinds of players out there. Only so many at bats. You know what happens? Let's let's say Ruiz comes out here in spring training and he's just electric. What do you do with Ramon Laureano? If you're like Ruiz is the fee, we got him. He he is center field for the future. What do you do with Ramon? Yeah, that would be interesting. I mean, I know around this time last year there was, uh, you know, once the lockout ended, there was a lot of teams interested in Ramon Laureano calling about potential trades. Um, I don't know what that's, what that's looking like these days. Cause he's coming off such a down year. I don't know if the A's would want to move him this year, but I think he's going to be a priority for them in terms of getting him in the lineup every day, especially start this season. Um, I think he probably moves to right field. If you saw a lot of it last year when they had Christian Pache up and then you kind of saw him flipping back and forth from center and right after when Christian Pache got sent down. Christian Pache, by the way, also another, you know, big question mark this spring, but I was just um, going to ask you, you know, about Pache. I was going <laughs> to ask you if you could buy stock, you'd be buying low, buying low, trying to make some money here for worse. But uh, would you buy stock in Pache? I mean, it's so low. I mean, why not? I would, I would, I would take a chance on it. Um, but, but I mean, he's got a lot, I, like, I mean, he's, you know, he played winter ball this year and I, I couldn't really get a read if, if he made any improvements at all or not. The numbers didn't look great. I heard that he's been working on some hitting things, and it did look, you know, a little better. Um, defensively, he looked great, but we always know he's, he's looked great on, you know, defense. It's all about can he hit a little bit. So, yeah. I mean, this is going to be a make, make or break for him in spring. I mean, if, if, he, if he comes to spring and, and is hitting, you know, 200 or below, it, it, it's going to be hard for him to make this team. And he's out of options, so they're really going to have to make – make a decision on him because they've got another guy, like you mentioned in Ruiz, who they're very high on. They yeah. feel like he could be their everyday center fielder from day one. Um, that's how high they are on him. So um, with Pache, it's, it's crazy how, how, you know, the fall has been from last year to this year, last year going into spring, we thought maybe this was a big piece of their future. And now it's kind of up in the air, whether or not he's going to be in Oakland, a, you know, past this spring. So um, that's, that's going to be a big guy to, to, to watch in terms of just, can he show enough improvement at the plate to be, you know, a part of this team going forward. When do you head to uh, Arizona? I'll be the report date. So February 15th, I'll be out there first day. Yep. So it's getting close. Uh, I'm sure you're starting to get ready from a standpoint, just not packing, but you're starting to get ready for, you know, what are my storylines? What do I want to hit early? Because you have to produce a lot of content. If people don't know, when you're a writer and you cover a major league baseball team, 
it's far different because during the season, you got your pregame notes, you got the game, and you got the postgame. It's kind of this, it's Groundhog Day. You do the same thing every day. In spring training, you got to come up with all this unique stuff, especially a team like the Athletics. You got all kinds of young players, guys that you need to talk about who are not on the 40 man who could help this team. It's a lot going on. Uh, what are some storylines you're looking at early that you know you're going to tackle for MLB.com? Yeah, I think obviously the the starting rotation is going to be like a like a big thing that we're going to cover throughout the spring. I mean, there's so many question marks. There's like ten guys competing for spots, and really, I don't think there's any real guarantees for for spots right now. I mean, Paul Blackburn had a good year, but he's coming off you know an injury that ended his season early. James Caprillion had so- shoulder surgery this off season. Both guys are expected to be in spring training and and pretty healthy, but but we don't know for sure until you know, they actually, you know, get on the, on the mound down there. Um, you know, Cole Irvin's gone now. So that was who we thought was going to be their opening day starter. Who's going to be their opening day starter. Now we, we, I don't think we really have any idea of that. Um, you know, Fujinami who they just signed, obviously there was a big excitement over that, but we haven't seen him face major league hitters really. So that's going to be an interesting thing to follow. Rusinski coming over after a couple of years in Korea and then all the top prospects they have there, Ken Waldachuk, who we saw last year, um, you know, Kyle Muller, who they got from the Braves. There's so many guys, you know, vying for spots there. That's just going to, I think that's, there's enough there to, to produce 10 different stories on 10 different guys there. Um, and then you look at just, you know, other guys that are coming in, Shea Langliers, how does he handle moving into a full, you know, full-time role as a starting catcher? Um, what do they do around the infield, third base, second base? You know, they got guys like Chase Peterson and Vladimir Diaz, newcomers. You know, can Jesus Aguilar show some signs that maybe a bounce back is is coming? That's going to be a big thing. Um, you know, the bullpen, who's going to be the closer? Um, I think there's a lot of guys who kind of showed that maybe they could do it, but they went through ups and downs last year as rookies. You know, they brought in Trevor May as kind of a, a veteran type guy. Um, he's got an interesting story. He's a, he's a fun guy to talk to. I remember when we talked to him over the soft season. So um, there's going to be no shortage of stories, which is great for me. I mean, I'll, I'll be busy all, all spring for sure up until the end, because there's always going to be, you know, plenty of, you know, question marks on this roster that got to be answered. And it's probably going to take all the way up until, you know, the final games of the Cactus League to kind of figure out how this roster kind of shapes up. And so many top prospects as well, they're going to join them in camp, like Soderstrom, Geloff, kind of the future guys who we expect to see at some point in 2023 in Oakland, um, they'll be in big league camp and, and getting kind of their feet wet with the major leaguers. And, um, you know, it's kind of be interesting. It's always interesting to see how they handle themselves. Soderstrom, from day one has always kind of looked like a veteran, even when he was like 19 in camp. And now he's really close to, to reaching the big leagues. And he's obviously the guy who they feel can be kind of a cornerstone for this team. So um, there's plenty of storylines here for sure. Yeah. And that changes everything at first base, right? Cause once, once he comes up, you plan, you plan on him being here for a long time. So that's kind of the, you know, we talk about Garcia and Noda and that whole thing, but once he comes up, he needs to, play. I mean, he's not coming up to get some ABs. If he's coming up, he's coming up to play every day, or he should come up to play every single day. And that leads me to, and I know I could be wrong on this. Um, I, I'm sure they would tell me I'm wrong on this, but I'm still not buying it, and I'm sticking with this. Jordan Diaz is a guy that's so young, they don't promote young. We haven't seen them really promote young in a long time. And last year he got promoted, and it was like, well, you know, why not? I'm not buying that. At any time, they've net, they haven't been bad years, good years. They don't promote young. But when he's down there hitting 340, 
He didn't have a position. You had nowhere to put him. You didn't know where to put him. And what did he do? You brought him up. I think there's a reason they brought him up. I don't know where you're going to play him. I don't know how the plan will work. We'll see what he looks like in spring training. What does the body look like? Where, But to me, I think it speaks volumes that he was so young and they brought him up to the big leagues because he they know he can flat out hit. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we saw it right away. It didn't, it didn't really take him much time to have to adjust. And, um, you know, when they went into the offseason, they, they, they prepared a full plan for him. So they, they definitely are high on him. I mean, they, they, they had some, you know, list of things that they wanted him to work on. One of them, as you mentioned, was what kind of shape he's in. He was a little bit, they feel like, um, you know, could be in better shape. So they put together a diet for him with the team and all that and, and had him stick to it. And, you know, from what I've seen, just based on, you know, videos that he's posted of workouts, he does look a little bit leaner um this this off season he's cut some weight maybe added some muscles so i mean he'll be you know quote unquote, you know best best shape of my life comes spring training like everybody but um it seems like he is you know taking it very seriously and i think he knows um you know the opportunity that he got last year to kind of get his foot in the door was big and he performed well so um you know i don't know where his where his spot is on this year's roster like you said there's a lot of infielders that they have middle infielders and he could get some time at first base as well um he's played that in the minors so I mean, it's a little short for the for the position, but I think he could play it definitely. Um, but you know, I think finding where he can where he can fit best, second base, third base, first base. You know, I don't know if you want to DH him. He's he's so young. You want to maybe try to find a, a spot for him first. But um, he's going to be a guy in spring who is going to kind of, I think, has to prove himself as well. But he's he's shown he's coming in with a little bit of an advantage that he's had you know some success already at the big league level as we saw last year to end the season. All right, so you're going down to spring. You're going to be there a long time. You're very familiar with the Valley of the Sun. If somebody calls you and says, hey, I'm going to spring training for the first time, what's your advice for these fans as they come to the Valley of the Sun? Uh, well, especially around, you know, if you're coming to a spring training, it's, it's pretty close to Phoenix and everything. So um, Scottsdale is a good place to visit. There's a lot of you know, good places in the area. If you're looking for restaurants, you know, if you're looking for entertainment, I think just taking in, um, you know, the, the other sites outside of baseball, obviously, you know, you'll, there's plenty of baseball around. If you want to hit the different camps, there's Cubs camp just right down the road. Um, the giants aren't that far away. Um, there's plenty of, plenty of teams to watch in addition to the A's, but I'd say go, you know, try to go out a little bit past, you know, you know, outer Arizona, maybe, I know I went to Sedona for the first time last year. That was awesome. I went there for a day and um, there's plenty of stuff to do in Arizona and the weather's always, you know, nice and warm. So you don't got to worry about, you know, rain or anything. So, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff to do out here for sure. Yeah. That's the one thing that, that I never do, but they tell me about it all the time. And our old buddy, Bob Melvin would talk about it. It's a great hiking uh, place. And Arizona is so interesting because all these towns whether you're in Scottsdale, Mesa, Tempe, Phoenix, they all run into each other. You never quite know when you're in one of them and you're out of the other, but yeah. like you can go out to Camelback mountain and hike. And it's at the time of the year where the weather, it's not 115 or 110. It really, the hiking is legendary. So you can do baseball during the day. And in the late afternoon, the beautiful sunsets, you can do the hiking and the hiking's legendary. Yeah, for sure. And then after you're all done, you can hit downtown Scottsdale, maybe, get some food, get a bite, get a drink. There's like plenty to do. Like, and like you said, it's, it all intersects. You don't know when you, when you hit, you know, Scottsdale merge into Mesa, Tempe, it's all in one spot. So 
Um, it's kind of a, a hub there for, for baseball fans. And I know, you know, whenever I, whenever I get a chance to kind of go out and, and, you know, get some food or something down there, there's always plenty of baseball fans out there. So it's a fun time. I, I definitely recommend it, especially if nobody's, if it's your first time going there, I think it'd be a, a fun experience for everybody. All right, buddy. Be well. We'll see you on the 21st when we arrive. Sounds good, Tony. See you down there. Martin Gallegos from MLB.com. Cody, by the way, did you see the shirt that I'm wearing today? It's an opening day shirt, right? Or opening series? Where? Uh, Japan. This is a shirt from Tokyo, Japan. Since I was doing the Mariners podcast today and it was on video, I busted out the 2019 opening series shirt that I got at the Tokyo Dome. A's up against the Mariners, Ichiro's last games. How about that? How many How many people have this shirt? Uh, that I know, I think you're the only one. Let's be real. Uh, and you got to see Ichiro play his final games, which is pretty awesome. Um, yeah. That was, I remember watching that. Uh, I was still at the old station at that time. Four in the morning, I was awake because I had to work, and those games are on TV here at four in the morning. So that's pretty cool you're wearing that. By the way, I don't know if you saw this, Stephen Piscotti's back in the Bay Area. Signed with the Giants this morning. Did he really? Yeah. Uh, Robert Robert Murray, our friend from Fanside, had reported that Piscotti signed a minor league deal, and I think he gets a bonus if he makes the major league roster, which with some of the guys the Giants signed in the offseason, uh, Hanniger and Conforto, he might be on the team at some point this year. Yeah, and I forgot Cody Thomas was designated for assignment. We haven't signed him back, have we? I, I'd have to look, but I don't think so. The former Oklahoma quarterback? Who I, 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 I hate to get rid of him. He's too good of an athlete that's just finding it right now. And I think that Jordan Diaz thing, I think there's some, I do think there's something to it. Yeah. I, We're going to see. There, there's a lot of – there is – there's a lot of under-the-radar – I guess this would be the best way to put it. There's a lot of under-the-radar competition uh, going into spring training. Anthony Castrovince, our buddy from MLB.com, national writer, will join us next right here on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live continues from the town. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, now joining us from MLB.com, he does an absolute wonderful job covering our sport, and uh, we always love to bust out his book. Anthony Castrovince uh, joins us as one of the books that we have here in our library in studio with us that we always have around that I think is it's phenomenal for all baseball fans, a fan's guide to baseball analytics. Um, it just takes you through. It's got a lot of humor to it, but it really explains what these analytics are, why, why they're important, how they're implemented. And Anthony, I was thinking about it, you know, as we start to change in baseball, this might be something that this book, you can redo this book almost like over and over again. <laughs> Because uh, it's such a good book, but as these things change, there's so much you could add to it. There is. Um, you know, I wrote it to be as evergreen as is humanly possible in our game, which is not very possible. You know, there's there's always going to be adjustments. And um, I think um, like defense, for instance, since uh, the book was completed, like outs above average on our uh, MLB.com's outs above average stat, 
has gotten much better. At the time the book was released, infield outs above average had just come out. We had already had uh, outfield outs above average. Now we have infield as well. Um, I think catcher defense is is uh, still a really untapped area that could could improve. Um, but generally speaking, I mean, a, a lot of that book holds up in that the the very basics of um, you know what it means to be like league average, better than league average, worse than league average, and then just the parameters of that. Um, I, I think we've come a really long way in a short time in analytics, and I'm not suggesting that there's there's not more room to grow. I just named a couple areas of room to grow. You know, defense is the big one, but um, but I, I think when it comes to offense and pitching, I mean, I think we're in a pretty good spot in terms of a base level of you know this is what we have to work with. Well, and once again, I'll hold it up for fans. Fans, you can get it online right now, and you'll have it in like two days, three days. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. You can get it all at Barnes & Noble online. You can get it. And the key to reading it is it, it, it's a fast read, and you got about you got a little over a month before the season starts. So it could, it, So I always say it was good for Christmas, but I think right now is we're getting into our, our baseball juices are flowing. We're getting sure. ready for spring training as we'll be down in Arizona by February 21st. Pitchers and catchers are reporting on the 15th for fans. Anthony, I think it's a, a great read right now to get you into the start of the season. Yeah, definitely. And I got to tell you, I, I turn to it myself sometimes still, because even though I wrote oh, yeah. the thing, um, like the appendix in the back where, you know, that's one of the great values of it is, um, you know, we hear these numbers, uh, weighted runs created plus or OPS plus, ERA plus, uh, FIP, WHIP, et cetera. Um, what is a good WHIP? What is a bad WHIP? And um, to have those charts in the back and just have that, that framework. So when you see these stats, like, okay, put this into context for me. I think the book does a good job of that to toot my own horn, if I may. Oh no, you know we I, we always I I love bringing it up because I really because people ask all the time. I, I appreciate that. And you know what? People are afraid of analytics because people mm -hmm. just let's face it. You want to go to the ballpark. You want to have a beer. You want to have a sausage. You want to sit there and you want to watch the game. You want to be entertained. You want to get in your car and you want to go home. You want to watch our show. Uh, if you're an A's fan or, you know, we have a lot of Major League Baseball fans in the Bay Area and people outside the Bay Area who watch or listen to this show. But it's entertainment, right? You want to you don't want to think about your job. You don't want to think about your bills. You don't want to think about your issues. And then all of a sudden. You want to make this complicated on me by throwing in all these math <laughs> equations because that's what they are. You could see how people go, eh, this, that, you know, we need to help people realize, no, this can be incorporated into your entertainment part. This can be fun for you too. I think the key is, you know, it's, it's called analytics. And I think, uh, you know, what it is is information. If you think of it in that way, it's just information as opposed to an analytics somehow seems like a scarier term than information. We all want information. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think as, as fans of any sport or of any entertainment product, I mean, we, we want information. If, if we're movie fans, we want to know the next movie coming out, you know? Um, and that's what analytics is, is information. Uh, it's just a different way of presenting information. And that's what I try to get across in the book is that the basic concepts are the same. We, we want to look at stats because we want to know who is good, who is bad. You know, <laughs> we want to know, is my guy, you know, how, how does he compare to the rest of the league? Um, we used to do that with batting average, and I explain why that's not, you know, as effective a tool as it could be. Um, you know, batting average, ERA, wins, etc. Um, and yeah, these are weird terms to us who grew up with those, you know, traditional metrics. But it's it's the same thing. It's just it's just 
trying to get information and, and trying to relate how a player performs relative to the rest of the league. This is a, a, an interesting year. All of them are, but this one really is, you know, it started with actually in December of 2022 when we were down at the winter meetings and the sport's back, right? Everybody's mm-hmm. back. The sport is officially back. We're, we're, we've moved on from COVID. We're having a full year. We were just down in Arizona for fantasy camp. That was back and going. We're now going to have spring training. We're ready to rock. And you yeah. just think about where the game is. Uh, we're having major changes with rules, which is going to mm-hmm. be interesting. Some may work, some may not, but we're seeing change like other sports have. Uh, right now, we have a top-heavy sport where you got teams that are spending a lot of money. We're going for it, and you got too many teams that are not. And I'll admit, we're one of them. Uh, mm-hmm. We're in an interesting time. So when you look at some of the top storylines going into the season as a national columnist, what are you most interested in? The rule changes are the number one story in MLB, hands down. Um, it's it's the biggest sea change to the rule book outside of the pandemic year where we had all those pandemic protocols and whatnot. Um, you know, in the modern era, I would argue uh, you could maybe compare, uh, you know, coming off the year of the pitcher where they lower the mound uh, and adjust the strike zone. You know, that was that was a pretty big change as well. And it showed in the statistics. But um, in, in terms of something that's going to have long term staying power and really change uh, just the rhythm of the sport, uh, really return the rhythm of the sport to something it used to be. Uh, it, you know, that's what this does. I, the pitch timer is a huge uh, and a necessary, I would say, change for the game. So I'm really excited that's coming to the big league level. I've seen it quite a bit in the minor leagues. I actually just saw it over the weekend at a, at a college tournament where they were. Uh, training the people who are going to be running the boards, the pitch timer uh, consoles. And um, it, it's just, it, it, it really brings baseball back to a rhythm that I, I think we grew up with. Um, so there's that and, you know, the defensive shift limitations, the bigger bases, et cetera. So all, all that, you know, just the adjustment to that. And it'll be fascinating to see, you know, the effects of each of those changes. That's number one story in MLB. Um, and then from a team, you know, competition perspective, um, you know, you got some loaded teams in the National League, and, and obviously the Mets have um, probably dominated the winner more than any other team in terms of just uh, being a talking point. And some of that was something they didn't get done with Carlos Correa, but uh, they did get a lot done. So, you know, can they live up to uh, what is essentially a World Series or bust situations as a function of how much money they spent? Um, you got the Padres in, I would suggest, a, a World Series or bust kind of mode because – um, that team could look a lot different a year from now if Manny Machado opts out and, and Snell and Darvish will be free agents. So, you know, they made the huge signing to Xander Bogarts and get Tatis back from his suspension. And, you know, it'll be fascinating to see if that team can live up to its potential. But, um, you know, there's all kinds of stories like that. But, uh, you know, those, those are the ones that jump out to me. I think the na- the top of the National League is, is, I think, so much more dynamic than the top of the American League, where I still think it's the Astros league to lose I, th- I still think they're clearly the best team in the league um whereas in the national league you got a handful of clubs that, that could really duke it out just think about this we are the entertainment business and sometimes people forget that and when i was growing up running was a big part of the game for god's sakes yeah. on our desk right here ricky henderson the all-time stolen base leader scored more runs than anybody else my man jose canseco who was the first 40 40 man of all time we, 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 we've addressed it on this show going, you know, 40-40 could be back. Yeah. And I was asking the question, with the new rules, 
what's going to be easier, getting the 40 dingers or the 40 stolen bases? You'd immediately would say 40 home runs. Only four guys hit 40 more home runs last year. I'm mm-hmm. just wondering the stolen base. I mean, we used to have Vince Coleman and Tim Raines and yeah. obviously Ricky Henderson. Are we going to start seeing guys with 30, 40 stolen bases, guys, you know, the true base dealers back up to 70, 80? Do you think we could see that right away? I don't know about 70, 80. I, I think what the math uh, what the data suggests from the minor leagues, if we were to apply a, the minor leagues, first of all, have uh, a, a more heightened stolen base environment as it is. So they're working off of a different base than the big league level. But if you, if you apply it, uh, the numbers to the big league level and adjust for that, I think you get to like where we were in the early 2000s, which is pretty, you know, that's a big improvement from where we've been in the last 10 plus years. Uh, where the stolen base has really gone away. Um, you know, for those who don't know, the pitch timer is married to a, a, a limitation on the number of pickoff attempts you can make before you're charged with a balk. You can only make two. Uh, if you make a third, you have to get the runner out or you're charged with a balk. So, um, <laughs> you know, that that inspires some more aggressive leads. And we saw that in the minor leagues. That we saw, on average, uh, a half uh, stolen base attempt more per game last year than you know, prior to the pitch timer. Um, and we saw a 10% jump in stolen base success rate. If you, again, if you can apply that to the big leagues, it, the, the game looks a lot different because then you have a better pace and you have more action on the base pass. And, and that could also work in conjunction with the defensive shift limits. So now maybe you have more base hits than you used to have. Now you have more guys at first base and they're taking bigger leads and they steal more bases. And now it's just a more viewable product. When they, when MLB set about, uh, to look into what they could do from a rules perspective. They did all kinds of surveys of what do fans want to see. And the number one thing fans want to see is just action and athleticism. They want to see action on the base pads. They want to see athleticism in the field. So you should have that, you know, the defensive shift limits force the middle infielders to be more athletic, you know, as opposed to just being positioned where the ball is going to be hit. They're going to have to get to the ball. And, uh, and, you know, it inspires more base running, um, you know, d- does the pitch timer. So uh, I'm excited to see what that could mean long term. Yeah, two things on that. First, defensively, you know, I remember thinking about the Dodgers not too long ago, where when you shift as much as people started to shift on right hand, we were so used to left handed batters being shifted. Now mm-hmm. we're watching right handed batters yeah. being shifted. Well, because Seeger and Turner, for the Dodgers had no range, right? So if you shifted everybody over it, you know, you're playing more, you know, balls at Turner and Seager are okay. It's going, Mm -hmm. it's going laterally where they're not very good. Right. So you protected them, but you wanted their bats in the lineup. Um, How many guys now, and we'll throw Seager because he wasn't very good defensively last year, his first year in Texas. We got to see that as we Mm -hmm. really got to see him more than ever before. But how many guys that are big bats that we we protected with shifts now get yeah. exposed defensively? Yeah, and we do. I mean, we have some big shortstops. You know, we're in an era of, of big, productive shortstops, and they'll be tested more by this. I think the bigger adjustment is at second base. I think we've seen some teams really try to – I remember when Mike Moustakis played second base, right? <laughs> uh, you know, so I mean, we've seen some teams take some – some real gambles there that they were in a good position to take with the extreme shifting. And now that's gone away and you can't, you can't play Mike Moustak as at second base anymore. Um, and I think it's a, uh, you know, 
I, I think there, there's more demands on, on the second baseman now, um, you know, because you, you're not shading uh, your shortstop over to the right-hand side against left-handed batters like you otherwise would. So there, there's more pressure on the second baseman. It's a tough position to play anyway, you know, the double play pivot and all that stuff. So, um, so the value of a, you know, a rangy athletic second baseman is, is more pronounced. Um, you know, a, a guy like Kemp there in Oakland is, he's a good defender. You know, he had a bad offensive season last year, two years ago, he had a really good offensive season. You put that together, it's a really good player. Um, but I, I think about, you know, maybe teams are more willing to swallow the, you know, difficulty on the offensive side. Now, if it's a guy who can deliver for you with the glove at second base. You know, if we take a page out of the NFL or the NBA's playbook, and we know that styles make fights, one of the things that's interesting about all these great fights and battles inside the NFL is with different quarterbacks, you have different styles, right? You can yeah. have a wide open with Patrick Mahomes. You can have a wide open playbook, and it's just amazing. And then you got a team like the 49ers, who are going to pound you. They got a running right. game and they got great defense. You have different styles of how to win. Same thing in the NBA. You could be a big three point team or you could still, you know, play to your big man down. I mean, there's different ways to play baseball. It seemed like all 30 teams are all trying to play the same way. Three true outcomes, home runs, walks, stolen bases, maybe just maybe like when we were growing up and you had like the St. Louis Cardinals where, where Tommy Herr could have 114 RBIs, but only nine home runs. And you had yeah. all these Cardinals running the bases and, it, <laughs> you know, different ways to play makes it more exciting that not everybody looks the same. Hopefully we'll see that. Are you looking forward to that and hoping that we will see that different ways yeah. to win baseball games? That's a, that's a great point. Um, yeah, just a, a personality to teams. We've seen that in, you know, I, I think about the Royals in 2014, 2015, back-to-back pennant winners and, and World Series winners in 2015. They had definitely had a personality. You know, they they ran the bases like crazy. They put the ball in play. Uh, they played really good defense. And they were somewhat of an outlier. I think the, the Giants, you know, those those Giants teams were, were kind of similar, you know, really strong in the bullpen, put the ball in play, et cetera. Um, last year, uh, the Cleveland Guardians got a lot of ink for just – putting the ball in play in a time making when not contact. many people were doing that. Yeah. Making contact. What a concept. And now that, <laughs> now that skill is, is more valuable because of the defensive shift restrictions. So I do think you've seen uh, teams starting to look into that a little more where teams are always going to go towards uh, where the, uh, you know, the, the outlier is or, or what is kind of going against the grain. And we did get a, a rut there, I think for a while, where it was very much home run walk strikeout. And I think teams have uh, maybe targeted some guys higher than the others would have, you know, from a contact perspective in recent years. So you'll start to see that come to the big league level. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, the game got very homogenous, you know, to your point, um, very power oriented. And now hopefully, you know, we'll see a shift. It won't be every team. I mean, the New York Yankees aren't going to be contact oriented. <laughs> they're going to be, they're going to be power oriented. They're going to be Aaron judge oriented. Uh, but I, I think for smaller market or mid-market teams in particular, that's 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 a place where you could gain ground on clubs is if you're good in that department. The Guardians were a perfect example of that last year. Well, every single day we get the email of all of everything that's going on MLB.com. So we're very fortunate on looking at what all of you guys are doing. But for our fans, love reading you. What do you have coming up getting getting us ready for spring training and ready for the start of the season? 
Oh man, this is a busy time of year. All kinds of all kinds of stuff. I mean, for one, we talked about the rules changes. That's kind of been my baby uh, the last uh, year, really, um, and particularly you know in this off season as we just start to just educate fans about what they're going to see. And I'll have a I'll have an article about the the field timing coordinators and what that job entails. That should be up any minute now, actually. Um, I'll have my annual all underrated team uh, guys who tend to not get the the national love who might be worth a closer inspection. Uh, we'll do our annual list of, of the winter winners as if that means anything. <laughs> Usually it's a curse uh, to be at the top of that list, but, um, but yeah, the, the teams who, who made the most noise this winter um, and yeah, just general spring training preview stuff. If you're a fan of a particular team, I mean, we're going to have you covered here, you know, in short order, we're going to have a lot of content uh, pumping out from, from each camp. So it's an exciting time of year. Wait, wait, rewind that field time coordinator field. It's the field timing coordinator. So the positions actually existed for several years because we have had, you know, the clock on between innings, breaks, mound visits, um, pitching changes, you know, but it was pretty low profile job. It wasn't much to it. Now there's a lot to it. Now that's a really important person in the ballpark uh, because that (laughs) person has to be on every pitch. And, uh, you know, when the pitcher receives the ball from the catcher, when the pitcher goes into his motion, this, the clock stops. Um, when, you know, they are basically the arbiter of when a play is dead. And now now we're counting down the 30 seconds to the next batter. So it's a pretty big spot. They're actually going to be in um, direct communication with the umpire throughout the game. They're going to have a headset. And if the umpire, um, the umpire will have hand signals during innings uh, to them if they need to reset the clock or, or you know, whatever they need to do. Um, and then between innings, they can check in with each other. So it's, it's kind of, this person is kind of an extension of the umpiring crew in a way. Um, they are not billed as such, but, but they really are an important, uh, it's a really important job. Well, and I was asked this question and I went, well, we're going to have to wait and see, but with all this enforcing time and enforcing new rules, do umpires have more responsibility than ever before? Oh yeah. Yeah. I was just talking to a few of them over the weekend about that. Um, that's a really difficult job. Uh, it's become even more difficult in an era with crazy velocity and crazy movement. And it's harder than ever to call balls and strikes. I think that we as fans yelling at our screens get spoiled by, you know, this electronic box we have <laughs> to work with and, uh, and, and probably overlook just how tough that job is. Um, but now you're adding all kinds of new wrinkles to that job. And I think the biggest takeaway when you step back is just the, it's the same thing for that field timing coordinator for those three hours or whatever the game is, there's no break for the umpire. And I'm not, you know, I, I'm not saying, uh, you know, pity the poor umpire. They, they signed up for this, but um, you know, the between innings breaks are, are pretty much their only chance to catch their breath. But even then, as I mentioned, you know, they'll be checking in with the field timing coordinator. As, as one umpire told me, you know, the days of kind of chatting it up, you, the umpire was in the field kind of chatting up with a coach. Um, that's going away. There's no more, hey, what'd you have for dinner last night? Where'd you guys come from, et cetera. It's because they're going to have to be policing the defensive shift limits and, and making sure the infielders are properly positioned on every pitch. Um, the home plate umpire is going to have to be monitoring the clock on every pitch. So, uh, you know, hang with them. It's a, it's a much different job in 2023 than it was even in 2022. No doubt about it. And I always like to bring it up. Uh, we, we talk about your book, even when you're not here for all baseball fans, it's a great book to read 
right before spring training and right during spring training, a fan's guide to baseball analytics, just kind of get you up to date and what you need to know for the season. It's great stuff. We always love having you on the program. You know, we read you on MLB.com. You do a great job. Let's talk soon. All right, Chris. Thanks for having me, sir. Anthony Castrovince from MLB.com. He's, uh, he's terrific. And Cody, never before have umpires and I was having this discussion and I'm glad we asked Anthony because obviously he said last year he's been looking over it never before have the umpires had so much responsibility their responsibility has always been I'm calling balls and strikes you got to control the game you got to keep people from killing each other you know you got to keep order you know you got to deal with the managers there's stuff but now you got to deal with time Time is never really something they've really ever had to deal with. Something that you do see in the other sports. Time's a big thing. You've got to keep track. How you know, you got clocks. You got to get that ball past half court in the NBA. Football, you got to get, you got to get that, you got to get that snap off. You got to, you know, they are now going to have to keep track of time, which they've never really had to before. And just like in football, hey, you throw that flag because you get in, didn't get the snap off, that dramatically changes things. Well, now all of a sudden you don't get that pitch off, it dramatically changes things. You've got to keep truly track. You've got to keep track of how many pickoffs. One, two, oh, it's a third. You didn't get the guy. That's a balk. I mean, there's a lot of things that they're keeping track of that they're, these things will dramatically affect the outcomes of games on a daily basis. This just isn't balls or strikes. Is the guy out at first, guy out at second. You're keeping track of the game at all times. Why? Because there's timers now. Yeah, it's fascinating. And one thing to think about, too, like what the bang-bang plays at first, and when Kotze, say Mark Kotze has wants to challenge a play and there's a bang-bang play, he literally would have to, when the play ends, go out there, put his hand up, like, wait. And then I think he has, like, 15 seconds or so to decide if he wants to challenge a play. Like, that's something the managers are going to have to use, too. Not only that, there's 10 new umpires they hired this year, I believe, right? They promoted 10 umpires. Well, by the way, Cody, to, to, to that point right there, how many times have they screwed up how long a manager had to challenge something? Because there's been times where you said, "Wait a minute, this is their challenge." The manager got to challenge this, and this is way past the time frame where he should be allowed. And yeah. this, and this is not as dramatic as messing with balls and strikes. I mean, they're really going to have to if they're not on top of their game handling the time of the game. Now they will be exposed. For sure, and like I said, there's I think ten umpires retired, so they have to per- they promoted ten new uh, umpires, so that's something to follow and see how that goes. But yeah, if, if I think it's fifteen seconds for pitchers with nobody on base, if you yeah. don't do it f- within fifteen seconds, it's a ball hitter, same thing, but it's a strike. It's gonna be. I mean, we're both for. I mean, we've been waiting for this time after watching minor league baseball. I think this is gonna be great. It's gonna be also a field study from the article Anthony wrote about how this affects pitcher injuries and, and player injuries. That's something to follow going forward, just taking it further from the umpires. But the umpires 100% agree with you. They have more responsibility than they ever had this year because of all the different timing issues. It's not just the between innings and all that and the pitch changing. It's everything they have to keep a, uh, keep track of. It's going to be a lot. It's going to be a lot. But it's going to be good for the game. And, and, 
And I like to, you know, as you know, I always like to talk about other sports to help explain our sport because you get it, right? You can see, oh, okay. You know, in football, the Philadelphia Eagles are different than the Kansas City Chiefs. They just are. This Super Bowl you're going to watch next Sunday in Arizona. By the way, Arizona, oh, my God. You've got the waste management on the PGA Tour, which hundreds of thousands of people attend this event. It's like the most attended golf event. It's crazy how many people go to this event and the Super Bowl happening at the same time. Wow. Valley of the Sun, going to be crazy. But just take the Super Bowl. The playbook for the Kansas City Chiefs is dramatically different from the Philadelphia Eagles. And you can go from team to team. You know, what they do, take two rivals, right? What the Green Bay Packers do with Aaron Rodgers, the next Raiders quarterback. He talked about it down at the AT&T. Did you hear about that? Uh, no, but I know everyone's uh, – De- Devontae Adams and jo- Josh Jacobs won them there. Uh, the most at Pebble Beach where Aaron Rodgers just won the celebrity portion of the golf tournament, he said the most – most the team that was most yelling for him to come was Raiders. Very interesting. He noticed a lot of Raider fans saying – Want you in Vegas. Anyway, um, Justin Fields of Chicago, they're bitter rivals, Bears and Packers. Their offenses, because their quarterbacks are completely different. So you have teams every single Sunday when they match up, and I like to use Niners, Niners against whoever. They're going to be different. That, That helps promote football. Well, that will help promote baseball. It'll be fun to watch a super power-hitting team going up against a team that's built on speed, if we have that again. And that may be the way when we talk about how to how, – it's easier to find speed and contact than it is power, in theory. I mean, I might, I might, I might be talking out of my you-know-what here, but in theory, fighting guys who can make contact and run should be easier than what, finding a bunch of guys who hit the ball out of the ballpark. So – You know, we kind of had it in Cleveland and New York in the postseason. But what if we have, what if you have smaller market teams that say, we're going to be built on speed? We're going to steal bases. Look how easy it is to steal bases. And everybody's going to rant and rave, and I hate these new rules. And you say, I don't care. We're taking advantage of that. And next thing you know, you got a bunch of, I mean, Yankees are a, Yankees are a pitching staff that's built on, we're going to huff. We're going to puff, and we're going to blow your house down. The Yankees are an analytic-built team, top to bottom, and they are all about velocity. Well, what happens when all of a sudden you're running wild on Yankee pitchers? And they're not built on defense, by the way. They're not great defensively. So what if you're running, they're trying to hit home runs, and you're running, and you're running on them like it's going. It's an interesting contrast. It will be interesting. And it what it won't be is two teams that are identical in the Red Sox and the Yankees playing the three-true outcome game, strikeouts, walks, and home runs, and they're playing four-and-a-half-hour games because they're the exact same team. You could take the, you know, not too long ago when both were like two of the powers, Red Sox have fallen off, but you could tell me if I'm wrong, Cody. You could have taken the Yankees and you could have taken the Red Sox and just had them switch jerseys, and it still would have looked like both they were the same teams. 
uh, you're correct. Uh, that they were so similarly built. Uh, the Red uh, with power. The Yankees are still a power team. The Red Sox, as you mentioned, clearly nowhere near what they were before. Like the interesting contrast to watch with the Yankees would be a team like us, the A's, because there's speed guys built in the lineup. There's not a lot of power aside from Seth Brown. Uh, another team to watch in the National League might be the Marlins. Hey, 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 don't forget about Aguilar. We just talked to Martin Gallegos True. about it. I, I mean, there is an article out about projected home run hitters, and they said hit Ramon Laureano and Seth Brown were both going to hit 22. And one of these guys, one of these guys, I don't know who, but Noda or Garcia, one of them's going to hit some, maybe both, but I got a feeling one of them's going to win some playing time and going to hit some dangers. Yeah, I, I mean, they both have uh, – Great power, but I think Noda might be the guy. I mean, he, I mean, as you mentioned, blocked by Freddie Freeman, put up some good numbers in AAA with, with the Dodgers in Oklahoma City. But a team like Miami is another one to watch, too. I mean, they don't have a lot of power. They don't score. I mean, they're not built on offense, but they've added some guys. They have John Birdie, who stole 50 bases last year for them, and they might be a team that tries to run more this year. You know, Trey Turner's going to steal bases for the Phillies, but I, we're going to see a lot more steals. But I think the contrast between two teams is going to be great. Not seeing Yankees, Red Sox playing a four hour game or you know, um, who else plays long games? Uh, with, well, anyone the Yankees play really play long games. Anybody in the Toronto, anybody in the East, they play American League East plays the longest games. You know, I'll be curious. I, I know we'll be fascinated with the 40-40. But you know, a guy that can run a little bit is Bryce Harper. Yeah, true. I mean, you're going to be, you know, now obviously he's got to come back from Tommy John. But if Bryce Harper... Where he is now in his career and his prime, I could see him being a 30-30 guy. Let's see. I'm, I'm looking up right now what his career high in steals was. His career high in steals was 21 in 2016 when he was 23. He he hit 24. He was a 2020 guy that year. So, yeah, I could see him doing it if they let him 2020? run. Yeah, I could see him doing it. I could see him being 30. I could, you know, if, if Machado wants to run, Machado could be 30-30. For sure, um, I, I dare I oh boy dare I say his name because who knows if he, what he's going to be like. But on paper, in theory, Nando could be that guy um, if he stays healthy. Uh, you're you're just infatuated with that with, with Nando, the ringworm tree cheater Nando. Uh, if Trout stays healthy, he's clearly a thirty, but he doesn't run anymore. But if they but if he started running again, Otani could be a guy like that too if they let these guys run. Uh, oh, Otani could eat yeah, Otani. Tani loves to run. A guy you would have said a couple years ago before he just kind of fell off the face of the earth, Yelich uh, would have been a guy. You could have said it been a 30-30, close to 40-40 guy. Oh, but you, you want to fall off the earth guy that could have been that guy too is Bellinger. No, yeah, they both, both the MVPs back-to-back years could have been those guys, and they both, uh, they now they're hey, in the same division. Hey, something that I really respect about Otani, Otani just loves to play. And Otani loves to run. I mean, we've seen it against us. He takes off. He like he likes playing. To where sometimes guys get paid, guys get to a certain age, guys are kind of, you know, they just wanna they wanna hit bombs and put up stats. Otani loves playing the game. He loves stealing bases. So uh, you know, take the let Otani go. Otani could be a 40-40 guy. Yeah, and two I mean, all he does is hit. I mean, it's not like he—it's not like he's standing out there on his legs on defense for nine innings. Maybe, maybe the guy to really—if we had to bet forty forty—the guy really is Otani. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. In 2021, when he hit 46 home runs, he also stole 26 bases. Now he's caught stealing yeah, ten Otani times. Runs, man! Don't, 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 don't go to sleep on him stealing bags. I mean, he only stole 11 last year, but maybe that'll increase this t- this year. I mean, he only tried it. He only attempted 20 steals last year. Uh, There's going to be a lot. Eight. Hey, there is going to be. That's why I'm hoping 
Don't know. We're not going to know until we see it. But I think the volume of stolen bases is going to skyrocket because there's going to be a lot of freebies. There's going to be a lot of freebies. If you're somebody like Shohei Otani, what is he, 6'5"? Uh, Otani is, I think, 6'4". Six, 6'4", four. Six, four, six, He's tall. He's standing over there with a long lead. You know how far off the bag he looks? Um, a lot. Very I far don't know off the how bag. much you've pitched and thrown over, but when you're a right-handed pitcher and you come set and you look over and you're looking through, it's your peripheral vision, and this dude's going to look so far off, what are you going to do? You're going to throw over? You throw over, he gets back. That's one. Come set again. You're looking at your peripheral vision off your left eye for a right-handed pitcher, and he looks really off. What am I going to do? If I throw over I, and I don't get him, I'm really – that second pickoff is going to be huge. So I throw over again, and I don't get Otani. Now I'm up you-know-what without a paddle. I come set as a right-handed pitcher again. Looking at my left eye, once again, peripheral vision, looking at my left eye. Otani's lead is so huge. What do I do? If I throw over, no, get him, it's a balk. I mean, there's going to be freebie stolen bases. I mean, we have no idea if a pitcher throws over twice, how's he going to react now? Is there any chance he's going to throw over with a potential balk, especially for runners on third? Think about the strategy here. Think of how big Ricky Henderson's leads were or Vince Coleman, the great base dealers. Their leads were huge. If there's a runner on third, how many times are you going to throw over? You're not. There's going to be a ton of – basically, I like to always say 90 feet. How do you protect? How do you guard that 90 feet? Because that 90 feet from home to first, uh, first to second, second to third, third to home, how you defend that 90 feet is so crucial. Well, this is going to be part of that now. How are you going to defend that 90 feet? You got runner on third, runner on first, first and third situation. I got a guy at first base taking a big lead. How many times are you going to throw over? How many times is a pitcher just going to be like, you know what? I don't give a crap. Let him go. I, I just have a feeling. Mark, check the tape. Mark the tape. What is it? 240. Is it 240? 237 on February 6th. Mark this tape, Cody. I guarantee you hear it here first on Ace Cast Live. You will hear you will see an explosion of stolen bases. And pitchers are going to give up 90 feet because they're going to be freaked out about throwing over and the third one's a bock. We're going to see an explosion, and you're going to see so many easy stolen bases that it's going to blow your mind how this changes baseball and brings that athleticism and speed back into the game. Even guys who are not big runners are going to steal that 90 feet. We are going to talk for six months about the art of protecting 90 feet. 90 feet. You're going to hear me say it all the time. And it's going to be fascinating to see how pitchers, catchers, the men who are your infield defensive coaches and pitching coaches, how they handle all of this. Because I don't think they know yet. Because until we see pitchers throw over and then they come to their limit and they realize, oh, my God, my third one would be a bock if I don't get them. 
I think we're going to have teams running like wild, and it's going to be great for baseball. Mark the tape, February 6th, 238 now, 2023. Uh, tape is marked, confirmed. I already did it. I'll give you one guy, another guy that's kind of under the radar. Do you radar. think I'm wrong? No, I, I think that we are going to see stolen bases. How about these relievers? How about the Duvall guy for the Giants who takes like 40 seconds to throw a pitch? How do you think he's going to react as a close? He's got a great arm. Yeah. I mean, so it's an electric arm, live arm, as they say. And uh, this guy's on, but he, 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 he's the human rain delay. How do you think he's going to react in a safe situation with runners on first and third? What, what What's he going to do? He can't take 40 seconds. And he can only throw over twice. I think these relievers who sit back and just blow it by people and take their time, it's going to change their game. Baseball is going to dramatically change from an entertainment standpoint, and it's going to be great. Completely agree because we've been talking about this forever about the steals, and you know we want to see the running A's. Not you know. Oh, oh, oh! And I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I got this one. And for all you people, and I do mean you people who have been like, I don't want to see time in baseball. The great thing about baseball is there is no time. You will all be exposed because speeding players up and bringing time into the game is going to make the game far more exciting, more watchable. It's going to be great. And then everybody that called me in the post-game show, I can't remember the phone number off the top of my head now, Triple eight. What is it? Uh, I have it. Hold on. Hold on. I have it. Eight three three six two five two two seven eight. Oh, that's right. Uh, when you're calling me in the post game show, I can't wait to call you out. Some of you loyal callers. I don't want a time. I don't care if the game's three and a half hours. Wait till you see how the game of baseball changes for the better. And all those you don't care about time takes will not age well. You're one thousand percent correct on that, and people are going to be like, "Oh, wow, this is so much better! I can't believe I hated the, the idea of a clock." Just like people used to hate the idea of a shot clock and the three-point line, and every all the other rule changes, adding ex, uh, expanding teams in the NCAA tournament and the postseason formats. That was a failure. No one watches yeah. the tournament anymore. By the way, the minute they expanded the NFL playoffs, people stopped watching the NFL. Yeah, the, the ratings are really in the dumps for the NFL. I can't I can't believe the sport's surviving. And uh, you know, quickly, so we mentioned college basketball. Oh, you know what I'm doing on Sunday? Did I tell you what I'm doing on Sunday? Uh, you're watching the big game? No, I'm going to go for a hike in the Santa Cruz Mountains and get to the top where it overlooks the Pacific Ocean, and I'm going to read a book. You know what? I'm going to read the baseball analytics book by Anthony Castrovance. And, yeah, who watches football anymore? Yeah, it's a it's a dying sport. Uh, I don't know how the NBA. Hey, the NBA expanded. Nobody watches the Warriors. Yeah, that's true. Um, they're they're having a tough time right now. By the way, your guy Kyrie got traded yesterday. I know you're. I know you're really worried about that. Well, uh, yeah, I was at Pebble Beach and that came down the down the pike, as they like to say. And I'm like, wait a minute. Does this just not show you how dysfunctional the NBA is? I mean, does does Kyrie getting traded? Remember, I mean, can, can, can we go back to Warriors, Cavs, and Kyrie, and everything was LeBron's fault? Well, yes. Now, I respect LeBron James, 
I mean, how do you not? LeBron James is one of the greatest athletes we've ever seen in modern history. Um, he is <laughs> he's a specimen. Um, I know people dislike him for some reason. I don't know why. LeBron James, from how he grew up and now helping people and sending kids to college, LeBron James off the court is a salt-of-the-earth type of person. I mean, he is a great role model, example for all people, parents, business people, let alone uh, professional athletes. I, I don't, I'm not a, I, I'm not a, I'm, I'm, I'm not a LeBron, I'm not a LeBron James guy. I mean, I don't care really. I mean, I just respect the hell out of him for who he is and what he's accomplished in his life. And I think he should be celebrated because he's one of the great ones, not only from a, from an athletic standpoint, but as, as a, as a person, I mean, LeBron James, I mean, the, you know how many kids he's sent to college now? I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's incredible. It's incredible what LeBron has done with his stardom and his power. But anyway, I remember covering the Warriors and everybody was down on LeBron and it's not Kyrie's fault. How did, how bad takes don't age well. And all the people who back Kyrie Irving back in the day, how's it looking now, Mr. And I don't, you know what? Him not wanting to get vaccinated. He may be proven. Some people may be proven right long-term. I mean, it's, you know, vaccinations are scary, right? What do you put in your body and you don't know? We were vaccinated. I, you know, I'm not saying I'm against vaccinations, but I mean, putting stuff into your body, who knows? Um, but from the not getting vaccinated, can't play, da, da, now he's traded to Dallas. But back in the day, everybody blamed LeBron for Kyrie. That hasn't aged well. Uh, no, not at all. And the league, the trade's still not official. There might be trying to add a third team. I don't know, whatever, but I know you're really concerned about Kyrie. Oh, and by the way, then then what was the other thing? So I'm I'm sorry. I was I was I was one with nature yesterday down at Pebble Beach, just enjoying the surf over the rocks and the beauty of the planet and Northern California. I was I was I was in my happy zone versus the dysfunctional NBA. Does that does that mean now Kevin Durant's going to want out? Oh, good question. Is he coming back to the Warriors? Well, well, no. Then that now, now that now that goes back to the Warriors. Remember when everybody tried to blame certain Warriors for the dysfunction of KD? That it wasn't Kevin Durant's fault; it's Draymond's fault. They, I'm sticking up for Draymond. Remember that everybody. It's a, well, is it Draymond's fault now that it's dysfunctional in New Jersey with Kevin Durant? No, it's so maybe so maybe Kevin Durant's dysfunction in Oklahoma City, Kevin Durant's dysfunction in Golden State, and now Kevin Durant's dysfunction in New Jersey. Maybe it has something to do with Kevin Durant and not Draymond Green or Russell Westbrook. Yeah. As they tried to blame that in Oklahoma City. Maybe it's maybe if dysfunction follows you everywhere you go, maybe it's not everybody else. Maybe it's the man in the mirror. Uh very well said. And I, I want to take us back so we're not talking you know, NBA the whole time the rest of the show. I'll give you two guys I think could be 40-40 guys. One's Captain Obvious. The other one's kind of under the radar. Captain Obvious is Julio Rodriguez of the Mariners. Uh, I think he could I – mean, Whoa, he was, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know if it's Captain Obvious. I haven't seen, I haven't seen him do either yet. Well, he 28 homers and 25 steals last year. That's not 40-40. That's, but he's one. The other one's Cedric Mullins. Because you know what I would say? Hey, listen, I've seen I've seen Yelich and Bellinger look like they do this stuff and what's happened. 
Yeah, true. They've fallen off the map. The other one. So you, so you, so you're basically you've seen a guy for not even a full season, and you're ready to buy as much stock. You're you're you're, you're all in already. Oh uh, yeah, I'm I'm sold on J Rod as they call him up in Seattle. There's always a an A Rod or J Rod up there. The other one's Cedric Mullins of the Orioles. Um, he was a 30-30 guy two seasons ago in 2021. Kind of had a down year last year. He only stole uh, he stole 34 bags last year, but only had 16 home runs. So he could be a guy. Maybe if he can get some of that power back, he could maybe get there. He's an under very under the radar guy for me. Um, obviously, I'm not going to go out and go. Well, you know, Otani could do it. No, I'm I'm going to look at guys that aren't so obvious. The other one people keep really really hyping up is I keep seeing everyone talking about Bobby Witt Jr. of the Royals being a 40-40 guy. Let's. Let's let him play a full season before we say 40-40 for him. Yeah, and, and I'd probably be more worried about the 40 dingers than the 40 stolen bases. Yeah, that's a very if good, healthy. That's a very good but point. But you know what, though? I, I don't, don't, don't. I think Otani's interesting because, you know, Otani supposedly has the governors on him. Like, you know, like a NASCAR where they keep the engines from going so fast. Yeah. Um, That's where Otani, you know, can Otani just be loose and be allowed to play the way he wants to play? And if that's the case, clearly he could get to 40-40. If you allowed Otani, see, but the problem is he's a pitcher. If Otani wasn't a pitcher, if Otani was just a hitter, would you say no question 40-40? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's the pitching part. So yeah. I think Otani is one of the most interesting. Otani's, what about Ronald Acuna Jr.? I, I think Otani is the most fascinating of any 40-40 candidate because of the pitching aspect. Yeah, and the only guy; those are the two guys that have come closest over the last like couple of years. Acuna was a forty-one thirty-seven guy, so he. But who is who is Ronald Acuna Jr.? Yeah, he needs to stay healthy. He's like Nando; he needs to stay healthy and on the field. Um, here, here's a guy because we teased this earlier, and we can finally pay it off. How many times has Hank Aaron been a thirty thirty guy in his career? Uh, a bazillion. The answer is one time. The great Henry Aaron was a thirty thirty guy. It was a nineteen. Where oh. were you at nineteen sixty three when he hit forty four home runs and stole thirty one bases? Yeah, I apologize. I thought it would have been a lot, but I wanted to. Uh, yeah, we talked about Henry Aaron's birthday was yesterday. I want so there's thirteen stats that they've put out there that show Henry Aaron. There's just never been anyone like him. I said with a lot of guys, but there's one stat that to me. Tells you everything you need to know. Why you you? If you're gonna tell me somebody's better than Henry Aaron, you better bring you better bring you better bring a you better bring a resume and a lot. We'll give you just here's an easy one before I get to the crazy stat. Henry Aaron is top five in a lot of categories, but here are the main ones. He's third all time in hits. Fourth and runs scored. First in total bases. First in extra bases. First in RBIs. Fourth in intentional walks. Fifth in war by position uh, by position players. He's one of seven players who have reached 3,000 hits, 500 home runs. And oh, by the way, they didn't even put in this top five. He's second in dingers. Think about all those categories. Nobody else is with him. When you talk total bases, home runs, hits, run score, nobody. Now, there'll be a, someone like Ricky Henderson right here who's up there and runs, and he's up there in stolen bases. But Ricky's not. 
Ricky up there in extra base hits and RBIs, intentional walks. I mean, Henry Aaron is up there in every single major category. But here's the one that blows my mind and should blow your mind. Henry Aaron hits 755 home runs. Should be the most all time. I think I knew you were going to go with this one. Henry Aaron, if you take those 755 home runs away, if Henry Aaron had no home runs, think about this. Henry Aaron, 755, delete. He still has 3,000 hits. 3,000 hits without his 755 home runs. It's the most amazing stat I think I've, I've ever seen in baseball. Only Pete Rose and Ty Cobb have more hits. He's third all-time in hits. You take away his 755 home runs, he still has 3,000 hits. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. So you guys want to shove Ichiro or Tony Gwynn or these guys with their singles? This guy's got 3,000 hits without home runs, and then you add his 755 home runs with it. He makes Ichiro, Gwynn, Boggs, all these guys look like chumps. I was just going to no, say, I was just going to say, if you take away the seven, the, the home runs, he still has 3,016 career hits, which is 30th all time. That's six ahead of Hall of Famer Wade Boggs, who had 3,010 career hits. Think about that. You take away his home runs, he still has 3,000 hits. And we talk about 3,000, oh, Biggio and Jeter and all these guys who get, you know, uh, we just had, uh, what's his name? Beltre got 3,000 hits, and we applaud. Ricky got 3,000 hits, and Gwen and all these bogs, 3,000 hits. Henry Aaron had 755 home runs and 3,000 hits to go with it. It's amazing. You take away his home runs, he still has 3,000 hits. That dwarfs those guys' careers, and we think of those guys as greatness. Yeah, 3,016 to be, to be exact if you take away the 755, more than Wade Boggs. Um, those numbers are crazy. We did the total bases the other day where I said what his total base number is, and Albert Pujols the second, and Hembo had the stat if he homered in 161 consecutive times, uh, 161 consecutive bats, he'd still be second all-time to Henry Aaron's total base number. That's incredible, but the 3,000 hits with the 755 home runs is – I knew you were going to go there, this one, because I think that's the best one on there. I've never heard anything like it. Also, I mean, if we, went, if we go down the list of players, I'll do it right now. Cover me for a second. Yeah, another another good one on there, too, is the 20 straight years of 20 or more home runs. Think about that. 20 years in a row, Hank Aaron hit 20 or more home runs in a season. Um, there's a reason why he has 755 home runs. But that that one was good. The, the, he's 116th in total strikeouts. Um, that's also very good. He's he was a twenty five time twenty five time All Star, but he only played twenty three seasons. I'm sure there's a good explanation to that. I just don't know it off the top of my head. Well, they used to play two All Star. You oh, didn't know this? Right. They used to play two yeah. All Star games a year. Uh, I forgot. See, I forgot about that. So, okay, so just 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 look at this, right? How we just go? Oh my God, Derek Jeter, 
Carl Yastrzemski, Pujols, Molitor, Mays, Murray, Cal Ripken, Beltre, George Brett, Robin Yount, Tony Gwynn, A-Rod, all these guys. They got 3,000 hits. And they all had great careers. Look at Riggy Anderson. Riggy Anderson played forever. He had 3,055. 3,055. We sit here and we talk about Ricky, and Ricky was greatness, yes. But take the difference between Henry Heron and Ricky Henderson. Ricky Henderson had to play forever to get 3,055. You take away Hank Aaron's home runs, he almost has as many hits as Ricky Henderson. And yeah. Ricky Henderson played, what, 23, 24 years? Yeah, with how many teams was it? Eight, nine, I forget how many, how many it was. I mean, it's crazy. Rod Carew is considered one of the greatest base hit contact hitters of all time. He almost has as many hits as Rod Carew if you take away his home runs. I mean, that that, that just it just tells you how just insane this number is of how good Hank Aaron was. Okay, so we t- we we came up and said that Henry Aaron would have three thousand sixteen career hits without the seven hundred fifty five home runs. How many hits would Barry Bonds have if you take away the seven sixty two? Would he be be below two thousand? He, two thousand one hundred seventy three. Hank I mean, Aaron so had. What, I mean, what if we took away Willie Mays's? So I'm looking at Willie Mays. Willie Mays, obviously, Willie Mays could be considered the greatest all around player, like him or Mickey Mantle or you know, there's certain guys. Trout's pretty damn good. We'll see what what he ends up with. Bonds. Um, Willie Mays ended with 3,293 hits. Willie Mays had, what, 660 home runs? Yeah, it'd be 2,633. He's, he's, look at all these guys. You take away their home runs, they're out of the 3,000 club. Uh, below, below Willie Mays is the great Eddie Murray, who is one of the great switch hitters of all time. Eddie Murray had over 500 home runs. I know that off the top of my head. He had 3,255. He gone. Cal Ripken, uh, 3,184. I know he had over 400 home runs. He's out. George Brett, 3,154 hits. He had 300 and something home runs. He's out. All these guys are out of the 3,000 hit club. You take their home runs away. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like, here, let me just pull up one. Maybe the only guy that went. How many did Tony Gwynn end up hitting in his career? Doing it right now. He had 135 career home runs. So if you take away from his 3,000 or 41, he's still at 3,000 hits. Tony Gwynn may be the only guy. Oh, wait, what did Ichiro have? Well, Ichiro had eight, Ichiro had to have 89 home runs. Uh, I'm looking right now. Tony Gwynn would have 3,006. Ichiro had 3,089 career hits minus he had uh, – 117 homer, so he's under. He's at 2,972. So let me back up the truck here, and uh, the guy that I grew up watching, Tony Gwynn. <laughs> let me let me take it back. Tony Gwynn would be the only Hall of Famer and the only member of the 3,000 hit club that if you took his home runs away, he'd still be a three. That's pretty impressive. Uh, remember that thing I sent you, folks? There was this amazing stat about Tony Gwynn uh, hitting with two strikes. Oh, yeah. I don't remember what, exactly what it is, but. Yeah, it's it's something with two strikes. Tony Gwynn is the only player in baseball history to have over a 300 batting average with two strikes. It was crazy. There's like no one even close. As a pure just, okay, not hitting it out of the ballpark, as a just a pure hitter, it's, it's really hard to go against Tony Gwynn. 
even even for the guys that he that you would compare him to get you would compare Tony Gomes like Wade Boggs and um Rod Carew and these type guys. Uh you really Tony Gwynn, there's these these numbers about his ability to make contact, not strike out, and put the ball in play and get base hits. That is it's such at, at a um crazy rate that I mean you look at his all time his all time batting average, modern day guys don't even sniff it. Like looking at the modern day great players, um Tony so Pete Rose's career average was three oh three. I'm still looking at modern day guy. Jeter was three ten. Yaz was two eighty five. These are all guys in the three thousand hit club who are modern day guys. Molitor three oh six. Willie Mays was three oh one. Eddie Murray two eighty seven. Cal Ripken was two seventy six. Beltre two eighty six. George Brett three oh five. Robin Yount two eighty five. Just going down. What was uh? What was Ichiro? Uh, Ichiro, Ichiro was three eleven. Gwynn was three thirty eight. It's pretty good. Like no no modern day players career average the. Gwen ranks with the old crazy guys, like the old guys where the numbers are like I can't believe Gwen rates with those guys. You mean like Hannes Wagner, who had three thousand four hundred twenty? The hits? fact that you take away Gwen's home runs and he's still a three thousand hit guy, I got to find that stat for people. It's pretty crazy. I mean, look at Ricky Henderson. Ricky Henderson's not even a three hundred career average, which is not saying he's not great. Yeah, Ricky Henderson is two seventy nine. I mean, Gwynn was 338. It's crazy. Yeah, one of the he old- had a skill. He had, and I'm not saying his skill was the best because I still rather have a guy who hits home runs and drives and runs, um, and hits for somewhat of an average. But Tony Gwynn's numbers are pretty insane. But nothing's like Henry Aaron. There's just nothing like offensively like Henry Aaron for a career. You just, you just, no one compares. And if you want to compare him, those guys were on PEDs. Yeah, like. The one guy that's, I mean, this is an old time, like an old era. I don't even know what era we throw him under, just the 1900s era. Early night. Hannes Wagner had 3,420 uh, 3, career hits. He only had 101 career homers. So he, But that's a guy that played, you know, 120 years ago. But the modern day guys, you're right. I mean, no one's close to what Henry Aaron has done. Well, The, the 3,000 hits without, without the 755 home runs. For a guy that wasn't even, you know, what was the the, the thing with him? He was uh, the way he swung the bat, where he had to fix the, the his swing. Didn't he swing awkwardly, or he was the way he uh, batted? Remember, there was something wrong with his swing. No, no, Henry Aaron. There, there, there was there was a. It's a different style because Roberto Clemente was like this too. They were front foot hitters. That's what it was. Okay, they used they used their which we don't teach now. But they kind of lunge forward, and their base, it's hard to explain, but their base, was, I got to look at myself, make sure I'm explaining this right. Their base was when that left foot hit the ground, that was their base that they turned around. Every, they were all hands, strong hands, hands back, and everything was off. We don't teach guys to come forward and be off their front foot anymore. You would never teach that. You wouldn't teach it. Um. It's like even like an old school golf. I mean, but their base was off their left side and everything was turning off their left side. And he had such strong hands, as Ray Fossey told us, um, you could hear you could hear his bat 
through the zone. It was so fast. Henry Aaron, bad. I'm getting this. Mays was better all-around player. Um, oh, uh, Willie Mays. But there's nothing offensively that you could. And I know they talk about Candlestick. I'm telling you. Candlestick did not matter whether you got hits or not. Made it hurt home runs. Didn't hurt hits. And they may say it with the win, but the hits, the Henry Aaron hits are just there. Yes, Willie Mays defensively playing center field. I got you, whoever this Dennis Randolph is. But uh, uh, I'm telling you, the numbers speak for itself with Henry Aaron. No one's no one's numbers are even close. No one, they're not even close. I looked it up because I knew I saw some. He was a cross-handed hitter with Hank, Henry Aaron. That's the one that I knew there was something with the way he was. Something about his the way he swung the bat. That was unorthodox. With him. I don't know if that was full time though. No, that was he how up, when he first yeah, came up. Then he ended up switching it. But I remember like he started out as a cross-handed hitter. Yeah, the big thing was he. If you go look at videos, how he came forward, landed on his left, and everything turned around his left side. Kept his hands back. He had tremendously strong hands. And Clemente was the same way. They really hit off their front foot, which you'd never teach today. But I mean, it is un. I mean, the numbers for Henry Aaron are just they're mind blowing. They're, they're literally like, wow, that guys took PEDs and couldn't get to his numbers. Here's two more for you on, on Henry Aaron. Uh, 15 straight years of having a six or better war. That's wins above replacement. Uh, he had a 1,116 career postseason OPS. Is that any good? Huh? Say that again. His career postseason OPS, 1,000, it was actually, yeah, 1,116. Is that any good? So one point one one. That's and then he the, tore up the Yankees. What year was it? Like fifty six or fifty seven with the uh, Milwaukee Braves? Just ripped up the Yankees in the World Series. Yeah, let me let me pull up his postseason numbers. I want to see somewhere in the fifties. It's like fifty six or fifty seven, something like that. Well, uh, yes, yeah, so it was two thousand. It was two thousand nineteen fifty seven. Uh, yeah, he, he hit um, three ninety three. He hit a one thousand twenty OPS. Then the next year he hit. Uh, three thirty-three, and had an eight twenty-seven OPS. And then the next time he played in the, in the uh, playoffs, nineteen sixty-nine at age thirty-five, he had a one thousand five or one thousand five hundred OPS. <laughs> Can you imagine? Give me those numbers again against the Yankees in the World Series in nineteen fifty-seven. Fifty-seven, he had in 28 at bats. He hit three home runs, drove in seven runs. Hit three ninety three and had a one thousand two hundred OPS, a one point two. Can you imagine if you get? Can you imagine in last year, Yankees, Milwaukee Braves? I know they're in Atlanta now, but if it was the Yankees and the Milwaukee Braves, and Henry Henry Aaron put up those numbers against the Yankees in the World Series, what people would be saying? Oh, social media would, would be on fire. I mean, it would be like, oh, it's the big bad Yankees against this little Milwaukee. Braves and Henry Aaron kicks the crap out of them on national television. Can you imagine what people would have been saying then? Uh, it wouldn't. It wouldn't have been kind to the Yankees. Now I'm kind of curious, like who was who were some of the pitchers on the Yankees staff? Uh, I know Whitey Ford was there, of course. Uh, but just just think of what that that how 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 sports is covered now. If someone in a big series did something like that, especially against the Yankees, what that would do? That I mean. Can you imagine if Henry Aaron put these numbers up and he played in New York or Boston or somewhere like that and not Milwaukee and in Atlanta? 
yeah, it'd be completely different conversation. And we still, you know, we, we talk about, you can argue he's the greatest offensive player of all time and because of all the stats he has. I don't know. How, I don't know how you argue against him. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think I. Like, what are you What are you going to bring? What are you going to bring that's going to say you could have, you know, as, as we talk about with the Hall of Fame, give me a seven year period, eight year period. I don't know. You could probably do that, especially with bonds. Um, you could probably have a period of the PEDs that was so insane. But for the totality of a career, I don't know how you can find somebody for over 20 years that can match that type of production. I want to see if I can find the the, the highest war seven leaders real quick. Um, well, I'll see if I can find that. Well, me. Ruth, Ruth, Ruth's number one. Uh I don't know. I mean, that's kind of going on a limb here, saying that that the. the yeah, Babe it's Ruth. funny. You read this book, and it goes through analytics, and supposedly we have the analytics to prove that those old guys like Babe Ruth and they, they didn't. Uh, who's the number one WAR and who's the number one OPS all time? Uh, that'd be that'd be Babe Ruth. Yeah. Oh, all right. Just uh, just checking for all the people that said Babe Ruth. Oh, Babe Ruth. This Babe Ruth. Numbers are the numbers. I mean, that would be the only guy. I mean, Ruth. Bruce numbers are insane, but obviously it's, you know, you got to give everybody their due when they play. It's like, it's like this argument that's been going around about Tom Brady. Yes. Tom Brady's greatness. There's no question. We're never, and but you have to realize playing quarterback in the eighties, the seventies, even going back sixties, it's different. Like how, how do you compare basketball? How are you, you know, to be a truly all time great in basketball, if you really want to do it, You'd have to be somebody who could play before the three-point line and after the three-point line. Do you have the kind of game that would translate in both in both games? Would you have the type of game to be able to translate a playing quarterback in an era when they get to kick your ass every single game? Could you withstand that physically? Could you call your own plays? I mean, it's a different game. Like, like if we had a draft in the NBA and said, listen, I've got to build an NBA all-time great NBA team, and the guy's got to be able to play when physicality was the name of the game. Like, And I'll just say, you know, I can't say I was big on early 70s and 60s basketball. I just know being in the 80s was a much more physical time. When you're playing in the East with the Celtics and the Pistons and the Sixers, all right, could you play in a game that was super physical? And, of course, the three-point line was. But I'm saying, like, no three-point line, super physical, but then you got to be able to play. And now, which is so athletic, and a three-point line and three-pointers. Could you play in both eras? How many players could? And if you had a draft, who would you draft? Because you got to be able to play by both rules. I know one guy that I think would get drafted for both teams. Uh, a couple came to my head, but I don't know if we both agree on them. Um, would you? Is one of yours Michael Jordan? I think I think MJ would be in the draft. Uh, I think Larry Bird would be in there. I think Larry Bird would be. I think LeBron could yeah, be in there. I, was, I think those Kareem are the three. could be in there. Kareem, but yeah, I, Magic. I think I think yeah. See, that's the thing. Bird 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 played in both eras, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I think MJ's going to be on the team. Yeah, I, I think. Hey, what do we got? Where we got? What, what is today's Monday? So we're back Wednesday. We're back Wednesday. Yeah, we got. We got. Get... I know. Before you know it, we're going to be in Arizona. Things are things are happening fast. Yeah, we'll be in Arizona next a week from. Wait, what's today? Uh, no, two weeks from now. 
Um, we'll, one thing we'll get into on Wednesday is the uh, Athletics MLB wildcard era franchise rankings and where the A's were they because they did the wildcard era and broke them down. Uh, spoiler, we're not in the bottom half of the league, so that's something we you, can get into. You, you know what, though? It's unfortunate, but I don't know how much our fans – and, yes, we will get into it. I don't know much how, how much our fan base appreciates it because of just the craziness of the A's, which is one of the things I actually love working for the A's. It makes us very unique. But how many times have people said, yeah, but? Well, look, how many times you've been in the playoffs since Billy Bean? Yeah, but we haven't won the World Series. There's a lot of yeah, buts. But if you look at success of this team since it moved to Oakland in 1968, you look at playoff appearances, it's pretty incredible. They're one of the tops in baseball. But you'll get the yeah, buts. Well, what? A, yeah, but but what if the seventy teams stay together? And what about this? And what about that? There's always the yeah buts. So I don't know how many people will really sit back and appreciate us bringing up a list. Going, you know, in modern times, A's have no question been one of the better teams in Major League Baseball. The data says it. And we're looking at the wild card era. So is that ninety five and on? Right, because that's when the wild card. Yeah. So right. It's, it's one of those years. So you're looking at from the mid nineties to now, where the A's rank. A spoiler: The Pirates are dead last because um, they only made three postseason runs. It was 13, 14, 15. So the Pirates are dead last. Um, so there's that. Well, ninety four was the strike, but for some reason they always. I think um, it's ninety five was the first year of the wild card era. But yeah, the wild card era is actually nineteen ninety five to present, not the thirty team era, which was ninety eight to present. But the thirty team era, according to the Athletic, isn't a real era, and because post strike simply is more log- is a more logical starting point. So you're looking. At 1995 on, obviously, we know the Yankees are going to be ranked number one because of what they've been able to do with the multiple what, the five World Series titles they won uh, since 95. So they're going to be up there, and they've been in the playoffs literally like every year. Derek Jeter never missed a postseason. It's a fascinating piece on The Athletic. Steven Nesbitt wrote it. He used to cover the Pirates in Pittsburgh, but he wrote it for The Athletic. That's It's a good, it's an interesting article to, article to check out, and it's something we'll definitely get into on Wednesday. Uh, but that's going to do it for AceCast Live today. Uh, I want to thank Martin Gallegos for joining us and Anthony Castrovince of MLB.com. We'll be back Wednesday at 1 o'clock right here for AceCast Live. It's that time of the year. Single game tickets are now on sale for the 2023 season. Secure your tickets for some of the biggest matchups, fireworks, drone shows, giveaways, and more. From opening weekend against the Angels to the 50th reunion of the 1973 World Series team, to unique giveaways like pit viper glasses. There is so much happening at the ballpark this season. Don't miss out on other home stands as we take on the Giants, Padres, Yankees, Cubs, and Braves. Visit athletics.com slash tickets to get yours now. That's athletics.com slash tickets. Oakland Athletics spring training is right around the corner and you can be part of the excitement. Get your tickets now and plan ahead for a fun-filled trip to Mesa, Arizona this spring. Pack the sunscreen, bring your friends, pick up some ballpark classics and watch your green and gold get ready for the regular season. Get your tickets today to see the Athletics take on the Giants, Padres, Cubs, Dodgers and more. Tickets are on sale now at athletics.com spring. That's athletics.com spring. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.